This is the Quantum Biology Podcast, where we break down the practical health applications of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. In this episode, ophthalmologist Dr. Jay Montgomery gives a major overview of the science of how and why natural sunlight exposure is the foundation of optimal health. Dr. Montgomery went down the quantum health rabbit hole after a debilitating neurological condition that no one could explain nearly cost him his career. In an effort to avoid transcranial surgery, Dr. Montgomery started researching quantum and circadian biology and was amazed at what he discovered. This is a very dense episode and you'll probably want to listen to it a few times, but it's worth it as Dr. Montgomery gives a masterclass in circadian biology. Dr. Montgomery, thank you so much for being here. We're really excited for this conversation and the energy and articulation that you bring to the topic. So to set the stage, you were considered fit and healthy and had a busy practice doing eye surgeries all day long. At the peak of your career, seemingly out of nowhere, you were struck down with a debilitating neurological condition. Yeah. So as, as I continue to, to practice medicine, um, i I got sick, I mean, basically with multiple problems leading to seven different medications, increasing doses, uh, everything from insomnia, neuroendocrinopathy, uh, chronic daily migraines, um, uh, depression, anxiety, uh, even some cognitive problems. Uh, and it led to vestibular cochlear neuritis, which is a chronic daily Meniere's uh, syndrome. I was facing a transcranial uh, resection of the eight cranial nerve. And so obviously something right. had to change. Brain surgery? Yeah, no, it's a it's a transcranial surgery. They wanted to open my skull and cut the eighth cranial nerve. That was the solution to the problem. And I'm like, you're not gonna you're not gonna open my my head. <laughs> so, you know, I had to really find the answer for myself, and it led me to uh, researching mitochondria because I understood that mitochondria control inflammation, and inflammation was my problem. Uh, but the answer to in allopathic medicine was just more medications or supplements, and so I read a book about mitochondria and was convinced that was where the problem was. Uh, that led me to Dr. Doug Wallace, who is obviously the, the, at the forefront of mitochondrial research and mitochondrial dysfunction. He doesn't have an answer for how to reverse mitochondrial dysfunction. Um, he simply describes it. And I think he's right. Uh, so, so that led me on a quest to fix my mitochondria. But I continued to use um, the health paradigm, more supplements, more exercise, all, all of the above. And what one thing that took me back um, over the 15 years of practicing medicine, I, in a rural area, I have lots and lots of 90-year-old plus centenarians. And, I, you know, I'd always ask the question, and it was, it was really curious to me that over time I got the same answer from all of them. And it, was, it started out as a joke. Just, oh, so what's your secret? You're living independently. You're, you're obviously with it, and you're taking a multivitamin a day. How is this possible when I'm seeing 60-year-olds that are train wrecks? And so without exception, uh, things came up. And so some of those things were we work hard outside most of our life. We grew up eating what we grew and killed. Uh, we sleep and rise with the chickens, which is a rural way of saying with the sun. Um, we take long walks outside in the morning and evening. Um, we drink well water. Okay. We don't rely on technology for anything we can do by hand. Uh, we read lots of books and we have lots of time with family and our faith. 
And, and so, you know, a lot of those things resonated with me, but I really didn't understand how that related to mitochondria and to my current problem. But now looking back, I understand exactly how it relates. And so after, you know, finding Doug Wallace, I, I listened to a podcast by popular health and fitness guy named Ben Greenfield, and he interviewed Jack Cruz. Um, and honestly, the first time I heard it, it, I was interested because they were talking, he was talking about mitochondria. That was the whole, and it was red light and cold thermogenesis. But some of the things that Dr. Cruz talked about, quite frankly, from an ophthalmologist's perspective, were just so far out in left field. I, I didn't believe it. I was very skeptical. But the interesting thing, and, and I think some of the things that make, makes me a little bit unique among ophthalmologists is I'm skeptical. I'm rebellious, I'm curious, but at the same time, I, I'm stubborn enough to just keep pressing. And so I wanted to, to find out more about what he was saying, and, and that led me on a quest to either prove him right or wrong and see where it led me personally. And where it led me was down a path that I never intended to go down, and that was light, circadian rhythm, and mitochondrial health. And, and so I had to fix myself first, my own brain my own neuroinflammation, and then I realized how important this is, not only for me, but for my patients, my family, and hopefully to every, everyone that listens to this, because I think it is a profound change in the paradigm for modern humans. What made me sick was artificial blue light, and when it started, honestly, going downhill is when we transitioned over to the electronic health record. Um, I, I'd stare into blue-lit LED microscope lights a lot. And then I started staring into computer screens every day, eight to 10 hours a day. And I, I had a very, I'm a fair skinned guy. Uh, I wore sunglasses outside all the time. If I was outdoors, I either had sunscreen on or my skin was completely covered because my dad has squamous cell carcinoma. So I was, you know, my whole paradigm was avoid the sun at all costs. And that led to my demise. Almost. Um, and it led me down a path of, honestly, the next few steps were going to be neurogenic disease and, you know, Alzheimer's, Parkinson's. I'm convinced of that. And, you know, nobody wants to go there if you can avoid it. And I think we all can avoid it if we start paying attention to our environment, particularly the light environment. And, and then that really excited me because then I realized just how critical the eye is to systemic health. It's not just about vision. Because that leads us to the next step in this. So when you understand that the eye is not just a, a visual optical system, that's the, the eye camera. We also have an eye clock. And, and when we understand those two different mechanisms, and they are actually linked in a lot of ways, but there's also there's two very different systems that are running concomitantly uh, in us all day, and every light that we're exposed to in the eye, the eye is a very sensitive photoreceptive uh, organ, but it's a very important circadian organ, neuroendocrine, neuropsychiatric organ. And it is in some ways uh, the metronome for the circadian mechanism. And if we don't understand that, then you really have no explanation for the, for the epidemic of chronic disease. In my opinion, our use of our eyes in the modern world is in our skin to a, to a different degree, but that's another topic, um, is really causing the problems that we see around us. It caused my problems, and I see it every day in my clinic. I see by the time the patient gets to me, they have glaucoma, cataracts, macular degenerations, and di diabetic retinopathy. Honestly, it, it can be difficult to reverse those diseases 
uh, with this, but we can, we have so much we can do to prevent them. It helps them, but uh, it really helps them if we catch them early and we intervene with this paradigm uh, as early as possible. Even in our teenagers, we're starting to see an epidemic of this. Uh, so I, what I want to talk about is the anatomy of the eye, because everybody needs to understand some basic anatomy. And I want to try to keep it, you know, as, as simple as possible. Then I want to talk about the eye clock mechanism as it relates to the circadian rhythm. Because if you don't understand that, you don't understand why it's important to do some of the things that we recommend. So from an eye anatomy standpoint, um, you have the cornea, which is, in effect, the clear windshield of the eye. But it's, it's more than that. Uh, it's a refractive surface, meaning it bends light. It slows light, uh, the, but the cornea also has a UVA receptor called neuropsin in it, which is probably the first indicator to our circadian system that there is UVA light present uh, in the environment. Um, next, we have the iris, which is the colored part of the eye. Some are green, some are blue, some are brown. But um, the iris is a very important uh, part of the eye because it controls how much light enters the eye. It creates the pupil. The pupil is a, a perfect black box radiator, meaning light can enter and exit. And the iris has two types of muscles. One is a constrictor, meaning that it closes the pupil. That's controlled by the parasympathetic nervous system. The other is a dilator, which opens the pupil, allows more light to enter. That is a sympathetically driven uh, muscle. And, and the reason that's important, and I'll, I'll talk about this when we get to the, the disruption of this system, is because we can disrupt those mechanisms profoundly, and that may be some of the first signs that we're, we're doing light wrong. Um, the next is the lens, which is, becomes a cataract. It's a natural crystalline lens in the eye. And again, it, it reduces the amount of light that enters the eye. Uh, it does have uh, some filtering effects for UV and UVA, UVB. Um, as it degenerates, uh, Sometimes in, in a, because of blue light toxicity, it develops cataract. Um, the vitreous is the clear liquid gel in the eye. It's a very specific type of collagen, which further slows light. It's piezoelectric, which means it uh, can convert an electromagnetic wave into an electromechanical wave, which can be used by the retina to attain time, energy, and information from the light that the retina receives. So then we have the retina. So the retina is divided into layers. There are many cells in the retina and it was done this way. And it's, what's crazy about it is I've always wondered why is the retina backwards? In other words, the photoreceptors are actually further away from the incident light on the retinal surface. The retinal ganglion cells, there's amacrine cells, there's a whole host of, of all of it. And it's all designed around photoreception and the transfer of light energy into biochemical or electrobiochemical energy that controls many mechanisms within our body. Um, the retina is, behind it is the retinal pigment epithelium. And to be honest with you, other than a discussion of macular degeneration, in my formal training of the eye, really didn't make a lot of the retinal pigment epithelium. But it has a profound uh, importance to retinal health, to managing the light energy, and we can talk more about that, but it also has a very important pigment called melanin, which we all know uh, is involves UV reception and absorption. 
but what one thing that really was missing from my training and, and most ophthalmologists don't understand this is that while our cornea and our lens do filter most of the UV light, a small percentage of UV penetrates the eye. So here's the question. If we are designed to wear sunglasses and to block all UV on our eyes, why would nature or God, in, in a lot of perspectives, create a system where we have UV receptors in our retina if it never got there in the first place? The answer is as false. Um, UV, it does penetrate. It's a nonlinear effect. It's a small amount, but it has a very large impact, and it's important. And if you miss it, you're going to disrupt the circadian system. And so... Sorry, can you say that part again? Like, yeah. why, why would nature... Yes. So what yeah. you're saying is, why would nature design our eye to allow yeah. UV light to penetrate if it wasn't for a reason? Right. It's, it's very important to understand that nature or God's design through nature does not make mistakes. There's, there's no randomness to this, in my opinion. This is all a very specific design for a very specific purpose. Evolutionary biology uh, is unbelievably precise. And this system is so precise that we would not have ultraviolet receptors and chromophores in our retina if we weren't designed to receive that light from our environment. It had to be there for those to develop. And so the paradigm that tells us to avoid ultraviolet light on our eyes and our skin is absolutely wrong. And the primary source of ultraviolet light is the sun. And so I have been telling patients, had been telling patients for 15 years, avoid ultraviolet light on your eyes. That leads to eye disease. That is an absolute false paradigm. Okay. And it, and it, it, in my opinion, it could revolutionize not only ocular health, but systemic health through the eye. And, and, I, and I argue with my colleagues about this all the time because they are so caught up in the paradigm, which quite frankly is 20 years old, of avoid sunlight. And we're causing our people, our patients, and ourselves to become sick. So when you look at the different cells that are important to the eye clock. Okay, so we all know about rods and cones. Rods are the rhodopsin, it's the nighttime photoreceptor. And then you have cones, which there's three, which are color. Uh, that, that's part of the visual system. And it's important, but it has, has very little to do with the timing mechanism for the eye clock. The eye clock, in a, probably a decade or more ago, uh, we discovered that Retinal ganglion cells, okay, the, we know about those because I, I deal with that all the time in glaucoma. They are what takes visual information to the optic nerve through the visual pathway to the occipital cortex. Okay, that's the visual pathway. We also have a small subset of retinal ganglion cells that form a smaller pathway, but a very important one. They're called intrinsically photosensitive retinal ganglion cells. They have another opsin, which was discovered, called melanopsin, okay? It is a blue light detector. So the question should be, why do we have a light receptor, a photoreceptor that is out of our perception, our conscious perception, sending signals to our brain that is designed to entrain or photo entrain our circadian clock. And the reason for that is because of the diurnal cycle of the sun. Okay, and we'll, we can talk about that when we talk about resetting the circadian cycle. The other question should be, 
What does it do when you are constantly exposed to that very narrow spectrum of light on your eyes eight to 10 or more hours a day as the modern human is? And the answer is it disrupts it. It destroys that mechanism. And that really was probably the epiphany for me that explained why I got sick and why we're seeing the same type of illnesses happen in our teenagers. The neuropsychiatric disorders are just rampant in that. And it starts in the eye. So then we, so just talking about the eye clock anatomy, uh, the retinal pigment epithelium is behind the photoreceptors. It's extremely important, um, not only for UV capture. It captures UV light. Um, there are some very important neurotransmitters that are formed, not only in the photoreceptors, but the retinal pigment epithelium. Things like melatonin, dopamine, serotonin. Okay, those are the initiator of neurotransmitter performance in our brain is the eye, is the retina, the retinal pigment epithelium. And without the proper signaling from the sun, those neurotransmitters actually get disrupted. And that's a problem for ocular health and systemic health. The intra, the, these IPRGCs form the retinohypothalamic tract. Simple terms, it's a pathway from the retina to the brain that creates a timing mechanism around the solar cycle to entrain our circadian clock. The master circadian clock in our hypothalamus is called the suprachiasmatic nucleus. Okay, it projects to other brain areas too. They're very important for sleep, very important for pupil. And that, that's where, you know, the Edinger-Westfall nucleus, uh, it gets a small um, uh, input from these IPRGCs that controls the autonomic nervous system through the PVN. So remember we talked about the pupil has parasympathetic sympathetic input. Well, that's because we have a mechanism from this layer of the retina to the, the autonomic nervous system, which controls the pupil, which is the light input to the eye. So from the suprachiasmatic nucleus, there are very clear connection uh, to the pituitary. Uh, we, everybody that, that studies uh, adrenal fatigue syndrome understands the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis. Okay, what they may not understand is that there is direct input from the eye to that axis and there's communication with the PVN, which is the autonomic nervous system um, centerpiece. And if you disrupt the mechanism or the light that travels from your eye to the SCN and the PVN, you can get adrenal fatigue simply by having a bad light environment. Okay, that. And so stress means a lot of things, different things to different people. But I can tell you, in my opinion, the number one stress that we face in our modern world is the abnormal light environment that we actually put ourselves into every day. Uh, we were designed for a solar light environment. And that is so clear. The, the evidence is, is, in my opinion, inarguable at this point. And we're making ourselves sick simply with our modern technology and our indoor lifestyle. When you disrupt the circadian clock through the retina, it, it doesn't really matter what kind of diet or exercise you do, you're gonna get sick eventually. And that, that became very clear to me. So the anatomy of, the, of that is you know, pretty clear, pretty well researched, but how does that relate to, because you know, we talk about the central clock mechanism, there's also a, the peripheral clocks. Every cell in your body has a clock mechanism. And when you, have a circadian mismatch, a light mismatch, and a timing mismatch 
from your eye to your brain to every peripheral cell in your body, you actually, it, it tells you that it leads to chaos, which causes inflammation. Inflammation at the cellular level is the cause of every modern disease. And mitochondria are at the receiving end of the mechanism. And when you, when you understand mitochondria are under circadian control, that links the eye, the light environment, the eye, the circadian clock in the brain to every cell in your body. So in my opinion, the eye is the most important organ, okay? It's the metronome for the circadian system. The skin is important too. There's surfaces. The eye, the skin, the respiratory tract, and the GI tract. Those are the surfaces in our bodies that are designed. I'm an eye specialist. That's what I talk about. But I've learned more about the skin in the last four years than I ever did in uh, medical school. So uh, because it's important, it's a, it's a photoreceptive unit very similar to the eye. Are there, um, has there been new research as well? Uh, it's my understanding that just a few years ago, there was some research that showed that there are photoreceptors in the skin as well. Is that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, melanopsin's in the skin. You have, you have the, uh, the blue light detectors in the skin. You obviously have UV receptors in the skin. You have, you have melanin uh, within your epidermis. Uh, you, you also, when you understand what, what sunlight entails, so we have the blue light. Obviously, that is important. The solar cycle varies throughout the day. Blue light on the eye and the skin photoentrains your circadian clock. But what we don't always talk about is the, the circadian benefits of UV and infrared because purple light, UV, and red and infrared are extremely important for this system as well. UV is a very high energy um, that is, uh, it varies throughout the day, throughout the seasons, uh, but infrared is constant from sunrise to sunset. Infrared light is a very important, uh, not only for the retina because it increases nitric oxide, all the, the, you know, the functional guys love to talk about nitric oxide and how to make it, how to, well, sunlight's the best way to do it because UVA releases nitric oxide from the, uh, circulatory, the blood vessels and the endothelium of the blood vessels to be precise. And then um, infrared helps us release nitric oxide at the mitochondrial level by actually, uh, you know, if we look at the electron chain, cytochrome four, uh, cytochrome C oxidase uh, is a red light, infrared light detector. And, and here's why that's important from the eye standpoint, because this is something I, I posted earlier. The, when you realize that 50% of your blood volume travels through the circulation of the retina and the choroid in 40 minutes. That means in an hour and a half of sun exposure, 100% of your blood volume passes through your retina. That's because the retinal blood vessels and the choroid are responsive, responsive to infrared and UV light. That increases the amount of phototherapy that you can do simply by exposing your eyes to sunlight profoundly impactful, not only from a you know, uh, circadian standpoint, circadian photoreception, but also from a, a cellular redox potential. So using the eye appropriately in proper sunlight has profound impact on systemic health through the circadian system, but also through the, the use of the blood volume as it flows through the eye. And the skin too, the skin's exactly the same, no different. So are you saying that walking around outside without sunglasses on is improving your health on a Absolutely. cellular level? Absolutely. I mean, and, and here's the thing. I went from, again, I probably was never outside more than five minutes without a pair of sunglasses on. And now 
our light, our glasses indoors. I call them alien sunglasses. They're actually blue blockers, okay? Because indoors, we're, we're actually around artificial light uh, at work or when we're using computers all the time. And so you, you don't want to block natural sunlight. Now, there are times when you might use sunglasses. If you're going to be on the water all day or you're snow skiing, well, that's different, okay? Because that's a photo stress that can, be, that can be harmful. But for normal, everyday use, I do not wear sunglasses at all. I wear glasses. And it's important to understand that glasses and contact lenses block artificial, I mean, excuse me, UV light and infrared. So when I'm outside, I simply just slide my glasses down a little bit on my, you know, my nose, and then I can get the natural incident sunlight uh, in my eyes. And it's, it's extremely important for people to understand that sunglasses didn't exist until, what, the 50s? And if it's true that sunlight on the eyes caused eye disease, why are we seeing an epidemic? Nobody's outside without sunglasses or contact lenses. The answer is we're doing it wrong. We're totally backwards. We cover our skin, our eyes outdoors, and then we expose them. I was, you know, at night, I'd sit and watch TV with contact lenses on, you know, wearing shorts. And so my skin and eyes are completely exposed. And then I go outside, put sunglasses on and cover up and totally backwards from what I do now. Okay. I, you know, I'm as, as naked as possible outdoors with no sunglasses as much as possible. You know, that, that is really a paradigm shift from the modern, modern world. It, it really is. So, you know, I think probably the next topic we, it's, it's really important is we, we talked about how have we disrupted this. The solar cycle is extremely important to understand. So from sunrise to sunset, you have this diurnal variation. And so for in the morning, when the sun rises, you have infrared and blue light. Okay, the infrared is important because it always balances the amount of blue in the solar spectrum. When you get unopposed blue light, it creates a photo stress on your melanopsin, the IPRGCs, that is not physiologically designed. It, dis it destroys melanopsin, it dissociates the photoreceptors from vitamin A, and when you have too much vitamin A in the retina, it ruins photoreceptors and it causes a lot of problems with your ability to process the natural sunlight once you do get exposed to it. But when you have blue light exposure in the morning, particularly with red light present, number one, you, you don't get the same harmful effects, but it also turns on your circadian clock. It turns on the hypothalamic pituitary axis. That's why all the hormones panels, we see spikes of the normal hormones in the morning because that's when they're designed to be turned on. And then once you get you know, the UVA in the environment, it turns off those things because then we're designed to actually start our, you know, our active day. Those hormones have already done their job. And we were, and then throughout the day, the UV increases and then it decreases again. And then by sunset, you're back to blue light and infrared. So if you don't get exposure in the morning, intermittent exposure during the middle of the day, and then exposure at night, you miss that timing. And unlike every clock we use, the circadian clock is designed to be set properly every day by, again, the timing, information, and energy from the solar cycle. And when you miss it, I mean, you're going to miss it some days because of the modern world. But when you miss it consistently, you're going to get sick. And, that, and that's really why I see what I see in my clinic. It's what I experience personally. Wow. When you realized that the key 
to your healing in order to avoid brain surgery <laughs> yes was to um remove your exposure to yes. artificial light from the computer and leds and things like that and to increase your exposure to the to the solar cycle right what was the trajectory of the change like in terms of your symptoms changing? Yeah, so how, how long how, did it How take? did you know, okay, I'm doing the right thing? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, I think the first thing that improved were the migraines, the headaches. Um, so what, what did I do? So I had to change my, my paradigm. I had to get outside in the morning. Um, I had to ground and get my eyes and skin exposed to morning sunlight. Um, I had to block artificial blue light. So I wear blue light blockers. My, my current sunglasses, I mean, alien sunglasses, have a, a blue light blocker called Blue Tech. I wear those all the time. Um, at night, I had to block artificial light completely. So I use a red uh, tint in my glasses. Um, I would say within a couple of months, the headaches improved and the sleep improved. That was probably the first thing with, I would say within a month. The vertigo symptoms, the nausea from the vestibular co cochlear neuritis took about three months. I knew I was on the right track because, you know, I started, the symptoms lessened over that time. Uh, I wasn't quite sure it was just blue light. I thought there may have been some other things. But, but the more I actually practiced this consistently, the, I slowly improved. I, I didn't go off of all medications quickly. The medications were actually allowing me be, to be functional and to do my job. But eventually, I was able to wean myself off of all of them. All the I was spending five hundred dollars a month on supplements, and and I got rid of most of those. Uh, and the only ones I use now are for mitochondria um, help. But it, it's just amazing how when you're consistent and you use the design that we have through nature, how you can reverse disease. Now, does that mean that if you have cancer, you may not need surgery? or chemotherapy, those are different scenarios. Once you have macular degeneration or you have a neurodegenerative disease, I do think this can help, but it depends on how far down the line you are before you start intervening with this protocol. And, and you know, melatonin and dopamine are hugely important. Those were probably the two most important things that improved for me, because I mentioned to you I was having some what I, what I perceive, because I've always been a very high-functioning person as far as, you know, my ability to, to comprehend or remember, but dopamine levels plummeted for me, and I, could, I knew there was a problem. Melatonin obviously was disrupted. Everybody thinks of melatonin uh, as being the, the hormone of sleep, but when you understand what melatonin does, it's a, it's a mitochondrial stabilizer. Uh, it actually stabilizes mitochondria. It improves autophagy and apoptosis. Um, it has profound impacts on systemic health. And that's why all the chronic diseases are associated with a, a circadian malfunction of melatonin. My melatonin was completely disrupted. It was, I mean, besides being horribly low, it was completely out of sync with the circadian solar cycle. Now it's completely normal. And melatonin and dopamine are designed to be first produced in the eye. Okay. And when you understand that, you understand how I was able to improve my sleep, my cognition, my depression, anxiety, all those things improve. Um, and, and now we're seeing just an absolute epidemic of teenagers who are insomniacs and have neuropsychiatric disorders. Suicide is now probably the number one cause of death in teenagers. There is a correlation, okay? When you can't make dopamine and serotonin, which is the other, another neurotransmitter produced in the eye, from, and, and here's why, these are produced from the aromatic amino acids. Biogenic amines are very, very 
prominent in the retinal pigment epithelium and photoreceptors. These types of amino acids capture light, UV light, and that's what changes them, their molecular structure into the neurotransmitters that we can use. When you don't get a proper solar signal, you can't produce melatonin, dopamine, serotonin. And when, and when you start doing that, over time, you will begin to have neuropsychiatric, neuroendocrine abnormalities, among other things. And this is a, a kind of a good segue. I am seeing, now that I'm looking for it, I'm seeing some very, very important early signs of circadian disruption through the eye. I'm seeing uh, an epidemic of dry eyes. Okay, I'm seeing an epidemic of myopia. Okay, because myopia, the elongation of the eye, is suppressed by normal retinal dopamine. How about that? Normal retinal dopamine. Mm. And so, and, and now all the studies show that the more you get your kids outside, the less chance they have of progressing in myopia. They don't understand why. They, th they think it's just about accommodation, which is reading or looking at a screen too much. Well, it is looking at the screen, but it's about blue light and it's about lack of sunlight. The, the next thing that I'm seeing is the, I mentioned the pupil. So there is an extremely common problem called photophobia, light sensitivity. Well, I experienced that. Most older patients start experiencing it. It's why all of them say they can't drive at night because the pupil, which is controlled by the autonomic nervous system, when your pupil is too large in response to light, you get light sensitivity. Well, when you have a sympathetic system that is in overdrive because of the input from the eye to the PVN, then you have a you're in sympathetic overdrive. You get adrenal fatigue syndrome, your pupil doesn't respond to light. And so now I see a lot of patients with enlarged pupils with photophobia, they don't respond as well to light because their parasympathetic system is being suppressed. That's an early warning sign to me that this person is in a really bad light environment. And, and I'm seeing these things just every single day in my clinic. I'm having conversations. Some people are receptive. Some think it's crazy. But I'll tell you this, the more you improve dopamine in your eye and your brain, the more you can connect dots, the more you can start seeing correlations that you did, really didn't think were important before. And, you know, I, it had to happen to me before I believed it. Okay. And now I've got a lot of patients that, that follow me. Uh, both in the clinic, on social media, and, and they're starting to, you know what's interesting is that the group of patients that actually accept this the most are the people over 70. And the reason is because they remember a time when artificial light was not a part of their life. They, they remember a time when kids played outdoors. They remember a time when there, there wasn't just this constant exposure to television where, I mean, where there these addictions that we're seeing to not only the, the blue light devices, but also to narcotics and alcohol and nicotine uh, in the youth. And, and there's a direct correlation. It's so interesting. So, yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable that nobody knows this. <laughs> so, you know, the next thing is really important. And, and I mentioned mitochondria. When you, when you think about that blood, the circulation that we talked about through the retina and the cord, uh, because we have such a profound amount of blood volume that goes through the, through the choroid, nitric oxide not only increases, the, it causes vasodilation, 
which allows us to have more blood flow in the uh, choroid, the retinal pigment epithelium, the retinal vasculature. That allows us to absorb more of the photonic energy in our retina. That is absolutely critical when you understand that I mentioned the retinal hypothalamic tract, sends signals to the PVN that courses down through our thoracic spine back up to the, super, uh, the superior cervical ganglion. That controls blood flow to the eye and the brain. The first branch of the internal carotid artery is the ophthalmic artery. So the more sunlight you get, the more messaging you get to that, that cervical ganglion to increase blood flow to the eye and the brain. So what do you think happens when you reduce blood flow to the eye and the brain? You get hypoxia, okay? You get poor blood flow, which leads to atrophy of the retina, the optic nerve, and eventually the brain, okay? What's hypoxia? Hypoxia is low oxygenation. You know, the blood's designed to, I mean, there's several things, and it's interesting. The blood is very important quantum, uh, has a quantum mechanism. It delivers light and oxygen to, to the cell. And what the cell needs to run, the mitochondria of the retina, the brain, every, organ, every cell in the body, you have to have photonic energy, light, you have to have electrons, protons, and oxygen. And if you don't have those things in proper supply, electron chain transport slows, it increases free radicals in every cell in the body, and the free radical signaling changes, and that's what causes disease. Because that signaling to the nuclear genome is what leads to problems with transcription of proteins. Proteins then, you know, when you have abnormal proteins, you get, you get disease. And, and that's the problem. We all think about the Mendelian genetics, and, and D Doug Wallace has shown, we've studied the wrong genome. The mitochondrial genome is very important. And that's why understanding someone's maternal history, and I ask those questions all the time, and they're asking, well, I've got heart disease in my family. Well, which side? Why does it matter? It matters because your mitochondrial genome is inherited from your mother. And so if you know the maternal history, if somebody's got cancer in their mom in her 40s, we got a lot of work to do as it relates to their circadian system, their light, and in their mitochondrial health. And, and I talk about this with the patients, mostly as it relates to the eye, but I, I send them some resources or places they can find them so they can start early because they've got a problem in their mitochondria and nobody knows about, nobody talks about this. None of the primary care doctors understand it yet. Uh, hopefully we can get the message out and we can change the, we can change the, uh, the dialogue. Speaking of that. So you mentioned that you do um, some continuing education in yes. at conferences in your field. Could yes. you talk about the flow of information and research and, why it is that this is so scientifically clear and yet not has not reached any kind of clinical application. Yeah, I can. And, and first of all, let me know you. Or, let me say, or let me say this, who do this. Yeah, this is very important. Very important. And first of all, let me say I have zero financial disclosures. In this. Yeah. A lot of people ask me why I'm doing this. And, and the answer is because it's the right thing to do. I have no products that I sell recommend. I don't get any royalties or anything. And that's good because the problem is, and because I spoke for pharmaceutical companies for the first five, 10 years of my career because they recognized, okay, this guy's a thought leader. If we can get him talking in front of people, we can, we can sell more pharmaceuticals, right? Well, the reason why we have such a disconnect between this type of research and 
modern medicine is because big pharma has a death grip, not only on research, but also on medical education. Okay. And maybe not, and it, I'm not going to blame the MDs for this. Uh, I mean, I think that they, in some ways they are to blame because they're not asking the right questions, but when you're, for lack of a better term, when you're raised in a system that only preaches pharmaceuticals and dealing with disease at the level of, it's like, kind of like a fireman. If a fireman, if you go to a house with, when there's a fire in the basement and the fireman is only interested in clearing the smoke, they're not going to help people save their home, right? Well, in modern medicine, we're just dealing with the smoke. We're not dealing, we're dealing on the biochemical level. At the quantum level, at the mitochondria level, that's where the, that's the fire in the basement. And the reality is there's very little revenue to be made with this paradigm because most of what we recommend is either free or very inexpensive. Um, now, are, are there ways that people can make a living doing this? Yeah, maybe. But, you know, that's not going to help big pharma. It's, and it's not going to generate funding from the NIH. By the way, the NIH funds 98% of their funding for, you know, genetics goes to the nuclear genome. Very little to micro, micro, mitochondrial genetics. Um, I think light really got lost when the big pharma paradigm started. And that's was decades ago uh, because nobody can make, make money on the sun. The sun's free and available to every person. Um, so, and, you know, it's unfortunate because... Every conference I go to, the first thing I look, who's speaking, who's, who's fitting the bill? And almost without exception, there, there's a big pharma or a surgical you know, company behind it. And you start asking questions, why is this the only angle that we're looking at things? And the answer is because the healthcare system makes money when people get sick or stay sick. They don't, they don't make money when you prevent disease. Okay, So there's really no interest in my opinion, for the healthcare system to keep people well or even to prevent disease. That's, there's, that's a sad statement. There's no intrinsic motivation for people to look at this. People no, in the medical and, establishment and I, to look at I this. You know, the, probably the most ridicule I've gotten from this is actually from my own field. I, I will say this, as an ophthalmologist, you know, I interact a lot with optometry. Optometrists, in my opinion, have a much more open mind to this. They, get, they totally get blue light. Um, maybe not always the circadian manifestation, the mitochondria side, but they are much more open-minded to this paradigm. And, you know, the lecture that I gave this on YouTube was to 70 eye doctors, most of them optometrists, and their reception of it. Most of the time I get made fun of by the ophthalmologists who's, who've never read any of the research. I'm happy to provide it to them. But, um, you know, it's, it's really funny because once – and I've got several colleagues that I work with closely who are ophthalmologists, intellectual, skeptical, but also open-minded. They're all in now. And so I'm trying to get a grassroots effort in my own field because I think if, if I can get the ophthalmologist to embrace this, one very critical thing we have to do, we have to design an intraocular lens for cataract surgery that allows a, at least a circadian-friendly light spectrum so that our retina and our eye itself can do its job to photo and train the circadian system. It's in, imperative that we do that. Um, the other part of it is uh, we need to design glasses, 
contact lenses if possible that will allow the same light spectrum in because right now all glasses also contact lenses block uv and most infrared and when you do that that leads to you know circadian disruption and so you can get out in the sun but if you've got your contact lenses on it, it's not doing any good because most if not all contact lenses block uv light hmm. so you know I, I have met with every intraocular lens manufacturer in the u.s and pretty much said that's interesting this this is interesting but this really is not on our radar mainly because all the money to be made in intraocular lenses is on refractive error which means getting people out of glasses okay that's what when you when you only focus on the vision part of the eye function that's what's important but you know changing that paradigm it takes a lot of time and to quite frankly I, we have to show them a, a demand from the patients and so now the grassroots effort of getting the patients to understand this i think is important and if we can get the optometrists the ophthalmologists on board i think slowly but surely there will be a push to develop circadian friendly intraocular lenses because if we don't have that um, it's really difficult to do what i do you know, with, with understanding that I'm helping people long-term. Yeah. Wow. That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Well, the other, the other thing I have, if you want, oh, yeah. yep. I, I have the list um, I can briefly go through. Um, you know, there, one thing that, that I do want to answer, because I have a lot of, a lot of people ask me. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one, one important thing for, for people to understand is, is, it's very simple to reset your circadian rhythm. Mm -hmm. And I have 10 steps that I talk to patients and, and family about, and, and you know, happy to share those. Um, so expose your eyes and skin to sunrise and morning sunlight every day for 20 to 30 minutes, okay? That may mean resetting your, your wake time, which is important. Um, eat breakfast within 30 minutes to an hour of your exposure to that morning sun, okay? Get intermittent exposure throughout the day, okay? So if you've got a day when you're working and it's not possible to be outside all day, at least take five to 10 minute breaks. You know, in the early days, people would take smoke breaks. Now I tell people to take quantum breaks, okay? Go, go quantum sample the sun, take your glasses. If you wear contacts, you gotta take those off. Uh, get your quantum sampling of the sun throughout the day. You need the UV. UV is very important for the eyes. Uh, daytime blue blockers indoors, extremely important. If you wear prescription glasses, you can get those put in. There's some very, very good ones. Uh, if you don't wear prescription glasses, you have a lot more options. Now, you need to eat before sunset. I, I know this is hard because we all live in a social world, and sometimes I have to break those those rules um, because my wife uh, likes to go out to eat after at, to dinner at night. But but it, the important thing is be consistent. If you eat before, and I use what's called early time restricted feeding, that's another topic. But it means eat during daylight daylight hours. Okay, you need to be finished eating at probably three to four hours before you go to bed. Um, you need it. Watch sunsets as much as possible. The sunset and sunrise are the two, in my opinion, especially for eye health and to regenerate your photoreceptors and to, to kind of undo some of the photo stress that UV and blue light does. The sunrise, sunset, very important. Besides being beautiful, it's a time today to get outside and meditate. Um, 
nighttime blue blockers are absolutely critical. Okay. You cannot have a normal circadian rhythm. If you stare at your screen, your cell phone or your computer up until the time you go to bed. Okay. You need at least two to three hours of total darkness. And what that means for the circadian system is no blue, blue and even some of the green spectrum. So you need to block, you know, a lot more of that after sunset. Okay. Um, you need to go to bed at a consistent time. You need to wake up at a consistent time every day. And so if you don't do that, you'll get what's called social jet lag. And that's as bad as being a shift worker, because quite frankly, all of us in the modern world are shift workers. And finally, avoid alcohol and food within several hours of bedtime. Um, what happens is when you go to bed, you're designed to go into regenerative mode, regenerative mode. If you don't do that and your circadian system has been disrupted, even by food, blue light, alcohol, that can't happen. Okay. You don't release melatonin. Your cells are still in their, you know, fueling stage. Um, your liver, your GI system, everything is just completely out of sync with your master circadian clock. If you do that consistently, you'll reset your circadian rhythm. And, and that's actually very scientific, but very simple to do and not very expensive. All right. So, and then the, the next list I had was just the quantum. Some of it's the same, but a few more. All right. So for me personally, here's, here's what I do. I, I, ha I have 12 steps that I call, call and it, none of these are my ideas. I want to make that clear. I've gotten everything I learned from different people, some giants in the field, but I have 12 steps that I have used to change my health paradigm. And, I, and to be honest with you, I believe change my health destiny. Um, I've mentioned optimal sun exposure, morning, midday, evening, okay? Uh, block artificial light. Well, we know that, especially indoors and after sunset. Sun, sunset. Drink deuterium depleted and fluoride free water. Okay. There's a really big quantum reason for that, more than what I can get into, but it's simple. You drink natural spring water or you drink filtered well water. Okay. There are other ways to do it, but those are the ways that I do it. Um, you need to ground every day. Grounding means that you walk barefoot or have your body on the ground, the earth. That can be anything from grass, concrete, dirt. It can't be asphalt, it can be wood. Okay, there's a quantum reason for that, and it's very important that you do that every single day. You can do it with leather sole shoes. You can do it with copper inserts uh, that some companies make, uh, but you can't do it with rubber soles, and you can't do it uh, if you don't ever touch the ground. And here's the crazy thing: I probably went 10 years. I used to go barefoot all the time as a kid. I bet I went 20 years without my skin of my feet touching the ground. Isn't that crazy? But that's the modern paradigm. Get optimal sleep. I think that uh, speaks for itself. Uh, consume lots of DHA. That's another long story, but it, uh, an important thing, the eye is very rich in DHA. There's more DHA in the eye, the retinal pigment epithelium, the photoreceptors. And the reason, because DHA is a phospholipid that converts light into a DC electric current that allows you to be more efficient in the transmission of light energy to an electrochemical energy to the brain. Eat lots of DHA, seafood, okay? Lots and lots of seafood. Um, mitigate non-native EMF, another extremely long uh, discussion, but understand the electromagnetic spectrum is the problem 
for us these days. We were designed to be to live in the electromagnetic spectrum that the sun and the earth provide. We now have an alien electromagnetic spectrum that man created. It's not good for us. Uh, that means Wi-Fi, cellular signals, uh, among other things. That's a very big discussion, and but there's plenty of resources out there on how to mitigate EMF. There are people more you know educated than I am on it. Just Pick yeah. up on that for a minute. Does that that relates back to our mitochondrial health? And uh, absolutely. Know now about mitochondria, when people talk about Wi-Fi and 5G and cell towers being no big deal, is that yeah. because there's no understanding of mitochondrial health in that? Yeah, when you when you understand that mitochondria are electromagnetic sensors. They're, they're, most, they're most sensitive to the electromagnetic spectrum. There are other things like cold, you know, heat and cold that they're sensitive to, but they are most sensitive to the electromagnetic spectrum. And when we say light, you know, understand that microwaves and gamma rays are on the spectrum. They're all wavelengths with frequencies, and they're all biologically active, okay? If you get exposed to gamma rays, you're going to get sick pretty quick. But even getting exposed to microwave cellular signals over time, because they open voltage-gated calcium channels, they will cause disease. And they disrupt mitochondria uh, in, in, a, in a very you know, profound way. You know, just like light, improve, sunlight improves the mitochondria, electromagnetic fields disrupt mitochondria. And, and they also disrupt the circadian rhythm. Uh, which is, is kind of crazy to think, but you know, it's just an alien form of light. It, it's no different. It's just a matter of, you know, what we've created versus what nature created. So the, um, the next step on this and, and, you know, I'm not completely opposed. People say, well, you just think about light. You don't think about the, other. no exercise and nutrition are important. Okay. They're external stimuli, but here's the question. Does it matter? What if you're using high test gas in your sports car, if your battery's dead, it really doesn't. You better fix your battery first. Okay. You better optimize your light environment through the, your circadian rhythm through the light environment first, and then worry about what fuel you're putting in. But, but exercise to me is important. It's a, it's a, it's a good stressor. It's a hormesis. And so I use exercise. The, the bottom line is just move. And if you can do it outside, uh, that's the key way of doing it. Um, I do follow a circadian feeding schedule. I mentioned I use the early time-restricted feeding, uh, which means I eat within 30 minutes of rising and exposure to sunlight. Um, I finish my meals at about 4 to 5 o'clock in the day. Uh, and I, know I use extended fasting probably once a month. Uh, I do 24-hour fast once a month and a 3- to 5-day fast about every quarter. Uh, I do think those are invaluable. I don't think that's the first thing you should do. I think you need to fix your your light and your circadian rhythm first. If you want to add some of these layers on, that that's good. Um, I, I also use photobiomodulation, a lot, big topic. Read several textbooks on it. Uh, the use of infrared light uh, it can be really important, especially uh, if you have certain diseases. Um, but if you learn to use infrared light, uh, using cold and heat stress, cold thermogenesis is something. Uh, it, it really depends on where your ancestry is from, and you can understand that through things like 23andMe, but once you understand what your mitochondrial haplotype is, what that means is, how do your mitochondria handle cold, UV, how do they handle different stresses? And so for me, uh, I'm a K-type haplotype, which means my, my ancestors from Northern Scotland, uh, I do very well with cold. Um, I use cold thermogenesis 
uh, probably three to four times a week during the low UV months starting November and maybe once, uh, twice a month during the summer. Um, I also have a sauna, an infrared sauna in the house. Um, I use that um, probably less than I do cold thermogenesis. If the sun's out, you know, that's, that's, my, um, <laughs> that's my infrared and UV exposure. And then finally, the four S, okay? Family, faith, friends, and find a way to serve people. Okay, because you can make dopamine, you can make it, but the but if you want to optimize it, you have to be connected to people. Okay, and I believe that those four things are extremely important to kind of tie it all together. Um, you know, Jack Cruz talks about quantum entanglement. You know, obviously that has very very large quantum mechanics implications, but there are ways that you connect with people through touch and interaction. Just like you and I right now, we're not, we're separated by the internet. So there's no way for us. But when you're sitting talking to someone, especially outdoors, there's a quantum entanglement there that you cannot get any other way. And so those four S are really important, both for your mental and your quantum health, in my opinion. But those are my 12 steps. That's what I do. Uh, not perfectly, but uh, it's made a tremendous difference for me personally. Thank you so much. Those are, um, those are really amazing. Yeah. And it's, it, again, no one's going to do it perfectly, but if we, if we do it 50% and then 70% and then 80%, yeah. no, I think that, we're optimizing our, our health and our aging as opposed to the other way around. Well, I think if you're, if you're going to, if you're going to emphasize one of those solar cycle exposure for circadian timing should be number one. And it's not even close. The solar cycle light is the most profound zeitgeiger, which is basically an environmental cue to the circadian system. There are others, temperature, food timing, fuel timing. Those are, those are fine. Those are good. But if you don't get the light right through the eye, the circadian, master circadian clock in your brain, all of it, it just really can't sync because you have to sync the central system with the peripheral system. And if you don't do that with light through the eye, and the skin, you, you really are, are missing the major Zeitgeiger, which is light. You know, I think when you look at it, if you want to target one thing that's going to make the most impactful difference on your systemic health, you have to get light right. Okay. And what I mean by light, the solar exposure through your eye and your skin controls the circadian rhythm. That is the number one message. Okay, all the other things that we talk about, they're important, but the most profound zeitgeiger to, to our systemic health through the circadian rhythm is light. The most profound factor to our systemic health is light. What a perfect place to finish. Dr. Montgomery, thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and wisdom with us. You are truly changing lives. Thank you for being here. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast. To find a practitioner who practices from this point of view, visit our directory. If you are a practitioner, it's time to shift from the biochemical to the quantum model of health. Come and join our community for health and wellness professionals, where we support each other to research and apply the strategies of quantum biology. You can find everything you need at quantumbiologycollective.org.